I track one metric and that's send off. And it's the only metric I track. That's it. If people aren't getting interviewed, they're not going to get a job. End of story, right? So for me, the metric I look for, so we run one for five because we go to shortlist. One person gets a job for every five candidates we get interviewing. So my job, depending on how many placements I want that month, this is how many people have to interview. Pretty easy. And I don't have to bog myself down with phone time and number of resumes in and you know number of Smiths and no, no, no. I do one. Hi, I'm Courtney Harmon, Director of Industry Relations at Curlate. This is the Industry Spotlight, a series of the Full Desk Experience, a Curlate original podcast. In this series, we will talk with top leaders and influencers who are shaping the talent industry, shining a light on popular trends, the latest news, and the stories that laid the groundwork for their success. Welcome back to another episode of the Full Desk Experience Industry Spotlight. Welcome to another episode of the Full Desk Experience Podcast Industry Spotlight. I'm your host, Courtney Harmon, and I am thrilled today to have Sharon Hulse joining me. Sharon is the president and CEO of Employment Resource Group, a retained executive search firm focused on the staffing and recruiting industry. Sharon has 28 years of experience in this space and is truly an expert when it comes to retained search. In 2006, she was named Entrepreneur of the Year by Ernst & Young, as well as Manager of the Year by Women in Management. Her firm has been recognized nationally for its strong growth and industry leadership. And in today's podcast, we're going to focus the conversation around Sharon's journey transitioning into retained search model and her insights for firms looking to add retained search to take their current retained business to the next level or adding that arm of their business. This is extremely timely given our major shifts that's happening across our search models. So Sharon, thank you so much for joining me today. It's thrilled to be back with you, Courtney. I know it's been a while. I love it. It's been a while. So do me a favor. I obviously know you from our history. Do me a favor and tell our listeners a little bit more about you, how you got here, and a little bit about your organization. Yeah. So my story, how I got here, is kind of a long one, but I'll give you the Reader's Digest version. 28 years ago, I was working for a women's clothing company out of North Carolina, and I loved my job. I traveled every day via plane, and my job was to hire salespeople all over the country. So I loved that job but was at a conference in St. Louis flying into O'Hare and we didn't have any landing gear. So we were in the plane and they go, listen, we got a little issue. We have no landing gear. The bad news is we had refueled in uh, St. Louis. So you can't belly land on a full tank of gas because it causes a fire. So for four hours, we were in the air. We finally belly land. It goes fine. Uh, But I became a very nervous flyer at that time. And I'm thinking, I have to fly every day and I don't want to fly right now. So I started looking for a new something. I had been a cook associates out of Chicago. I tried to recruit me at one point and I didn't really know a lot about the recruiting industry, but I thought they must have saw something in my background. So I literally accepted the job. I called them up, said, is that job still available? And my then husband, now ex-husband, just right before I was supposed to start, had a panic attack, said, I don't want to move to Chicago. So back then we had yellow pages. We didn't have the internet. So I opened up the yellow pages and I saw management recruiters of Appleton called who ultimately became my boss said, Hey, you don't know me, but here's my story. And I started that Monday and I built 509 
from June 2nd to December 31st. And I go, I found my vocation. So that's how it went. I love it. No one ever ends in this industry on purpose, Never. but it always ends up very deliberate in the long yeah. run. You almost have to be insane to do it on purpose. <laughs> so tell me a little bit about Employment Resource Group. Yeah. So we have been in business 22 years. So ultimately I bought my desk. I really, I saw this business as a need at that time for sure, as had to be done in a different way. The piece that I felt was missing, it was so transactional. Three guys, you know, three candidates for three companies. You're always playing this chess game. And I just never felt good about that. You know, I made a lot of money, but I kept thinking, but I don't know where they sit. I don't know who they're going to sit with. I don't know anything about the culture. And that was before culture was even a big thing. It was just sort of, you know, something that I said, if I could know more about the organizations I'm working with, I could pick better candidates. So that's why I ultimately started my own. And I didn't do anything really over the phone other than recruit. Every job order I took, I drove or flew. I still got on a plane. I still do to this day. And I went to see the client when I would first start working with them. And I could see the environment. I could watch how people interact with the boss. If they scatter, if they go toward them. There's all kinds of unspoken things that you learn when you go into an environment and it just worked for us. And that's kind of been our premise since that day is to really intimately engage with the organization where they are and then go out and find them the best candidates. I love that. So obviously with that motivation and understanding for an organization, were you always retained or did you start contingent and move to retain? Talk to me about that transition. Yeah. No, as any MRI office was back then, it was 100% contingent. And that's probably what I didn't like so much was it was got a guy, want a guy. So I made a decision and it was an interesting decision. I'll tell that story. But I made the decision that if I started ERG, I was going to like 100% retained, like no going back, 100% retained or I'm out. So I lost my top three clients in my first week of having my business. I said, listen, you guys change your value proposition all the time. Like you're always like, we're going to be known as this. Or we're going to do this. And again, I work construction. So they're always like, be known for healthcare. We're going to do stadiums or whatever. And I said, guys, you're always changing your value prop. Why can't I change mine? And they said, we just don't do retain search. But within three months, all three were back. And they still to this day are my biggest clients. So it's, sometimes it's having the guts to just say, this is how I work. What do you think steered them away initially? So those obviously the top three, did they not want the financial investment? Did yeah, they not want the change? What do you think drove them away initially? The thing that I don't like about continued search is you will always end up doing a lot of work for free. It's just the nature of that business. The bad part of retained is you can't walk away from a search. Once you commit, you're in it. But again, if you do your due diligence and are smart about the questions you ask, all of that, you won't get stuck in a bad retained search. I mean, I shouldn't say you won't, but likely you will have less bad retained searches, but it's no different than a bad contingent search. I just got to a point where in my head, I went, you know what? You're pretty damn good at this. And why should you work for free? And once I had that revelation, I just never went back. I mean, it's kind of like I've never done a search for less than 25% ever. I mean they ask all the time. I'm like, no, like, if you want to work with me, that's what you're going to pay me. And it may sound really bold, but I think in this business, that courage, that confidence is kind of the keys to winning, right? It's, I am worthy of this because I'm good. So, you know, I wish I would have started retained right out of the gate. I think, however, you're trained is what you become used to. 
again, it's hard when you don't have the swagger and the, the confidence, but it's been 22 years since I've done a contingent search. Does anyone in your office do any contingent searches or it's strictly retained? The only thing we do contingent is MPC work. So if we have a really good candidate, but we charge 5% more to send over an MPC on a contingent basis, but it's just for that one candidate. That's it. And it is more expensive. So if they say, well, I really don't want to pay 30%, I go, great. We have a retained option. Pick your poison. Yeah. Wouldn't you love to work with me? <laughs> I love it. No, I think that's great. So I guess my question is, you mentioned initially losing a few key clients initially. Mm-hmm. What are some other key challenges you faced in that transition process as you got your business? Any other yeah. things that pop in your head? And maybe how did you address them? Well, I'll tell you the biggest thing that I learned in doing retained search. And I've told everybody that, I mean, I get a lot of calls on how did you transfer and all of that. And I would tell you the number one thing you have to have is you have to have a process. There has to be a visual reminder of what it is you do that's different than got a guy, want a guy, right? Sending in a resume. So it doesn't matter what that process is. You just have to have one. So we have a very defined process of here's how we go to market. Here's how you'll receive information. Here's what that information is going to look like when we get to shortlist. Here's what you're going to receive back on each candidate. Here's where the assessments go. It's like almost like an orchestrated dance. Every step is well-defined. And of course, it's gotten better over the 22 years. But even in the beginning, I went out and I really, much like we're doing here, I really listened to people who did retain search and what is it that they did that made them successful. And, you know, the corn fairies, the Heinrich struggles, all those people who were known back then for being solely retained firms all had a process that they would go out and they would do their PowerPoint presentation and they would sell it to organizations. I don't do that because I don't like that can presentation stuff. I'm just kind of me, but we have a very defined process and we have a deliverable on the backside that people really like because it saves them a lot of time, which is the number one reason why we sell retain because it's really clear what they get for the money. So there's two parts that I pulled from that. Number one is, is there any part of your process that's unique and special? Because obviously I don't want you to give away any secret sauce by any means, but it sounds like you do something differently. But number two, it sounds like communication is really key in your process. It is a back and forth. There is a full behind the curtain scene where maybe that's not the case with normal contingent searches. Yeah. I mean, I think it is unique for us to just go out and visit clients before we have contracts. I mean, we will literally go and meet with organizations and understand even before they have a need, just to really start to build that relationship. People forget we've gotten so many tools. And again, all of it is wonderful. I don't want it to sound like I'm that old school. I mean, we have AI and we have sequencing and we have all this stuff. I mean, I had the yellow pages. That's what I had when I started, right? So that core relationship building skill became really strong because it was my voice and their voice. And then ultimately it was my going there and having a meeting with them and being able to ask really good business questions to get them thinking about how is this hire going to impact their organization and where are the gaps and all of those things that you need to do a good search, whether it's contingent or retained, in my opinion. I would tell you probably the thing that And it's really hard. It's not a definable, but it is something that I think we do really well is the intuitive piece. I always tell people, I'll say, you know, what makes you guys different? And I would tell you it's our spidey sense. We deliver the spidey sense piece of the candidate. Like, here's what we believe to be true in part of our presentation. 
And I'm the kind of person, if it looks like a rat, it smells like a rat, I'm going to find the damn rat. I mean, I if I have this at all cut sense that like there's something there, I will continue to search until I figure it out. So, and I share that with them in written form so that they truly get what I hear a lot is I feel like I knew the candidate and then I met him and I did. So it's written with a lot of emotional intelligence. I don't use AI to write my summaries of the candidates because then it takes away that humanistic charm sometimes of why I love them or how they made me feel or those kind of things. So again, it's a lot more work. Retained search is a lot more work. Contingent is fast. So if you're all about speed, you know, there's industries where retained doesn't make sense. Like IT sales. I think retained makes zero sense for IT sales, unless you're going to do an RPO. But as it relates to like the worlds I live in, retained search, I mean, we're manufacturing, we're construction, we're banking, credit union, and then we're anything cross top, HR, IT, finance, marketing, sales, operations. Retained search makes sense there because they're higher level, engaged with a lot of departments, that kind of stuff. That was my next question. I wanted to get the audience to be able to hear the industries that you serve. Yeah. So obviously, whenever you first started, I'm going back to when you first started, how did you gain those additional clients to build momentum in the retained? Obviously, it was a different sell. How did you position that to change to say, because there's a lot of people who don't like change. Well, no, you were doing it this way. Yeah. I want to stay there. So talk to I me about what I mean, the honest answer is, and I literally did not like grandfather anybody in. I was just a bulldog because I just didn't feel like I thought, I mean, it's like giving a discount. Rarely is concession ever valued and often results in further concessions, right? I mean, that was ingrained in my head early on. So I said, if I'm going to do this, I'm going all in. Like if I screw it up, I screw it up, but I am going all in. But what I did do is I went out and met every one of my clients face-to-face and explained the why. And I showed them the materials that I will give them now versus what they received in the past. And the understanding of the candidate's background that will be so much more in-depth than what they were receiving on a contingent business model. And I said, this will not be for everyone, but if you really want a talent partner or somebody who understands your business, because we've been working together now six years or five years, whatever it was, understands intimately the people that you like and then don't like, obviously, and can make it easier for you to interview all at once rather than, got a guy, stop. What'd you think of him? Well, I like him, but who else you got? Okay, send him another one. But he, well, I like him too, but I just don't know yet. Everybody's at once. Pick one. Done. I present five at a time. These are the five best people that are available in the market. Here's why I like each one of them. I think any of them can do the job technically. Now you pick out my personality. Pick one. And they do. <laughs> I love it. So that's why I like retain. It's very pinpointed on, I'll do this, then you do this. Yeah. And it's obviously your process is clear. Now, to clarify, you work across the country. So when you say you're going to visit a client, you're going across the country to visit a construction client that maybe you hadn't talked to before. Yep. I will fly wherever I need to fly. What I will try to do is, I mean, obviously I want to maximize my time. So if I have a client that a potential new client in Boston that I'm going to see, I'll try to visit like all the construction companies in that market. Or if it's a manufacturer in Iowa, I'll try to visit other manufacturers in Iowa. So I try to utilize my time well. And I've figured out over time that, you know, if you get established networks, like I'm in WPO and I'm a Titan and those kind of things, if you get those established networks, it's easier to maximize your time because you have multiple people within one market. I love that. 
So if you have somebody that comes to you, I know this is a very common piece of advice that you give, but what are some tips you have for staffing firms or recruiting firms that are looking to add to retain? Like, what is that first step? How do they get started? What piece of advice or tips would you give them? Yeah. So you have to get your ducks in a row before you like, you can't just say we're going to do retain and then you don't have anything to differentiate what's the difference between contingent and retained, right? There's got to be more value. And again, one of the things that I love, and this is something that it's so easy to say, but people don't psychologically think about it this way. It is literally the same money. Now what I've done is I've split it up into three P&Ls instead of one. So instead of you paying me all the fee at the end, you're going to pay me a third down. Let's say that's in January. I get to shortlist in February. You're going to pay me the second, third in February. And the remainder, whatever that difference is, is going to be in March. Now, instead of a $50,000 fee in March, you paid me three pieces of that all in different P&Ls. So it also helps from an expense standpoint. And a lot of what we do in this business is psychological. I mean, it just is, right? So it's selling in a way that they don't feel like this. somehow I'm going to get ripped off by this. We give a performance guarantee, 100%. We stand behind our performance guarantee. So if we don't find them three candidates in 90 days, we send them their money back. We're not in it to try to, I mean, my joke is mama doesn't need new shoes bad enough anymore to keep their money. I mean, I literally myself have built $33 million. I'm not going to do this just to try to take their down payment. I mean, it's really about, we believe that we can find them the best person. Sit down and figure out what's the value proposition. I mean, you have to do that. You have to think through, if we go to retain, what are the things we're going to do different? And how are we going to give better information to our clients so that our clients can make a decision quicker? That's what this, that's what retained is. It's not pay me money up front. And, you know, we can guise it and say engaged. Well, okay, that's fine. You can say, I'll just do engaged. And yeah, it's nice. You have a little bit of money down, but I like full retained. They are in it to win it. Like we are absolute partners in this. They're not going to work with another firm. They're not going to have somebody call in and say, I have the perfect guy. And they go, oh, Sharon, sorry, we found the perfect person. That person becomes part of our process. I mean, there's all kinds of things that happen when you like legitimately are retained, which is what I love about the business. I don't like dancing with devils I don't know. Do you require exclusivity to work with you through your retained searches? Yeah, it's right in our contract. I love that. And honestly, a lot of people, it's what you said. It's technically three separate P&Ls. It's about positioning your information differently and understanding your value and what you bring and standing by that. So I love that. Is there anything else you talked about? Obviously having your ducks in a row. You talked about having a defined process. You talked about knowing the information. Is there anything else a firm maybe needs to have in place before they start doing retained work? The other thing, there is a cadence to the language of doing retained search. So, and that's the challenge of having somebody new out of the gate do retained search unless they come from the industry and they're subject matter experts. Then they can do it because they know enough about the industry to ask the right questions. I was not good at retained search when I first started it. I was good at search, but I don't know that I was really good at retained search because it took me a while to figure out at that level. So if you're going in and they're going to pay you a third, a third, a third, the expectation's higher, right? They're thinking corn fairy, all that stuff. So even though we're a boutique firm, the expectations don't change. So for me, it was being able off the top of my head to ask the question that either they don't know the answer to, but I'm going to help them to get there. It has to be a strategic conversation. This is not 
So tell me what's the person going to do and how many years experience. It's way deeper than that. It's really about what does this person do for their business? And what does that first year success look like? And there's all kinds of things. And when you first start, you know, I used to have my cheat sheet and I would go through and I'd ask those questions. Now they just come naturally off the top of my head. But that cadence of talking in C-level speak is also really important. You have to have that down. And I tell people who are nervous to interview, I say, write your questions down. I mean, again, it just looks like you researched their company. So it's all good. I would do the same thing with my questions. I would make sure that I had it in front of me and I would be making notes as if I was literally just trying to learn about the organization. I usually knew a lot about the organization going in. I also would study the person I was meeting and learn something personal to see if there was some sort of an emotional connection. You wrote a book, I wrote a book. You have three kids, I have a kid, you know, whatever. Whatever those points of commonality are, that helps to get conversation going, obviously. And it sounds like it's beyond the transactional. A lot of people are stuck in our industry where they think they can send an email or all of this business can be done via email. But it sounds like it's beyond the transactional. It's you have that consultative approach and really giving back to your relationship versus just taking. Well, and I think that's where I'm old school. And I know what I'm good at and I know what I'm not good at. I don't use sequencing. First of all, I can't manage that many new clients at a time anyway. So for me, what I do is I'll write a very personal email to them. And it will be not, hey, I'm an executive search firm and I want to talk to you about your business because I delete all those messages I get. I mean, I never look at, I get probably 50 LinkedIn in-mails a day. I don't read any of them. Don't sell me on LinkedIn in-mail. If you can't either pick up the phone and call me or send me something that's incredibly personal, I'm not going to even read it. So I really try to give a lot of thought to if I send an email, but nine times out of 10, I start with a call. I try to leave a fabulous voicemail that just says, you don't know me, I don't know you. We should know each other. We live in the same industry. It doesn't make sense that we don't know each other, but here's why I'm calling. And then I will send a follow-up email, just say I left you a voicemail. And again, I don't try to sell them. I try to sell an appointment. That's it. I don't try to sell them on working with me. I try to sell them an opportunity to talk. So whether that's face-to-face or Zoom, people like to do Zoom. Now, I'm not a big fan of Zoom, but it is what it is. People like Zoom, so I use Zoom. And here you are today. On a- here I am today on Zoom. <laughs> now, okay, you made a comment. I want to ask a question about it. You said, I couldn't manage that many clients anyway. What's your yeah. capacity? Like, I mean, per recruiter, what is the expectation of being able to manage something like that? Because it is a lot more time consuming compared to it. A- you got a five candidates, not one. So, you know, our recruiters probably work on seven to nine at a time. So I do the biz dev right now for the company. Cal is also working on it, but I've kind of been the main rainmaker. That's easy to say. So I typically try to do eight to 10 new retainers a month. That's sort of my goal for the organization. I have six full-time recruiters right now. We are in the process of hiring some remote people. So we're growing. We sort of downsized to go back up again because we have all this new technology and stuff that we, so we needed to get our hands around that. But I just think that it's not hard. Most people absolutely understand how to build relationships. It's looking at it from just a different lens on, I'm going to actually get paid for my work versus not get paid for my work. Like I always say, this is how I work. I can't tell you how many times I say that in a month. This is how I work. Would you do it on contingent? This is how I work. So if you want me to do it, that's how I work. I'm okay if they don't want to work with me. Ultimately, a lot of them figure it out. I'm good. I love it. Can't win them all. 
No. And if you could, you probably, you'd have to do a mass hiring to be able right. to be able to, right. to be able to, well, at one time. So last year, early in the year, we had 74 retained searches and it just about died. I was like, this is ridiculous. But we have a lot of clients that they give us several at a time. And we had 74 searches. And I said, like, we can't manage this many. I mean, we were like going insane trying to fill them all. So it's just better to not get to that point where now all of a sudden you have so many. Because we never say no to our established clients. If they have a need, they have a somebody leaves or they have a new industry they want to bring into their fold or we don't say no to them. We want to continue to service them and to be their sole provider. So with that, if you add too many new customers, now you have unhappy customers because you're not delivering in a capacity of which they're expecting. Did the down market or the past year of uncertainty, I talked to a lot of offices that they were down to 30% year over year last year. Did that affect you and retained as much as it maybe affected other offices since you had those established clients? I would tell you we would have been flat where we got nailed is on counteroffers. We had so many counteroffers last year, the most we've ever had in the history of ERG. And it was the talent war. It's still one of those things where even with a downturn market, construction really wasn't hit that much. So losing a good person was still pretty significant. Obviously, we had an interesting dance with remote work, hybrid work. Construction companies go, no. So trying to find people that they're like, well, I'd really like to work one day a week from home. And the owners go, no. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so a lot of them are my age and they're like, okay, you know, these young kids who want to work from home. So, you know, it's just balancing all that. I'm just used to, there isn't much that I haven't had happen in my 28 years. Let's just say that. It's an ebb and flow kind of thing yeah. here. Yeah. I, I think this year is going to be pretty good for us with the new technology implementation with some of the new searches we have that are really nice, big fees, they're a lot more fun, in my opinion, than some of the not as more mid, not mid-level, but higher mid-level. When you're doing searches that are $150,000 fees, those are a lot more fun. I love that. All right. You've said it three times now. New technology. Yeah. Okay. What new technology? I'm curiosity killed the cat at this point. Yeah. So a lot of what we've implemented is AI driven. Okay. And if I give away too many secrets, then my staff will kill me. But one of the things that we found and that we're implementing is really a fabulous AI-driven technology that helps us to find more candidates. Okay. So, and so far, I mean, it's fairly new, but so far it's proven really, really effective. So we're liking that. And, you know, we made our sourcing much more robust. We needed to do that because sourcing is the foundation of all evil, right? So if we don't have good sourcing, the rest of it doesn't go as well. So we've really made sort of that step back, concentrate effort to make sure all of those things are highly functional as we can make them and then run forward and now hire with people learning new systems as opposed to coming in on the old system and learning again. So that's fair. I love it. I won't ask too many more questions, but I, you said it twice. So my brain was sparked. So I love it. It's changing our industry of where we are and how we find people and how we stay in touch with people. Right. So there are a lot of different implementations across the board. Mm -hmm. Where do you see the biggest growth opportunities for retained search in the next five years? Do you see that being more of a need, changing your relationships? Give me your thoughts. Yeah, you know, our business is definitely going to change. I mean, AI is going to make our business change. Will people always need us? Yes, because I don't think a robot is going to establish a relationship. I still believe 
in market mastery. I still believe that you need to be a master of the world you live in. And over, I mean, the longer you do this, the better you get at it, obviously. So when people have a year, they don't have those networking relationships that, you know, like 28 years, there's not many people in, for example, I started in construction. There's not many people in construction I don't know, or at least don't know who I am. So when I call, they're like, oh, hey, I mean, so it it becomes less challenging. But I do think that retain search, what I like about it is, yes, it can be harder to sell. It can be a longer sale for sure. But once you have committed people, the nice thing, as long as you do a good job, you become that preferred vendor. And that's what I like about that business is everybody's expectations going in. They know how you deliver. They know the kind of information that you give. They know it's more information they get from any other firm. So they love the fact that they know, like the first interview for them is done. Everything that they would typically ask that first interview is already in writing for them. So it takes it to that next level of being able to really engage on a lot of different things than just, so tell me about you, you know, and tell me about like, why'd you change jobs kind of thing. So, you know, we're continuing to evolve all the time. We we're working on marketing, we're working on all kinds of stuff because you do have to differentiate yourself all the time, especially in retain search, because there's a lot of good firms and there's a lot of big firms that that's, but we sell tenure at this point because we know there's not many people in our world that we don't know. It's a great benefit to have people, you know, I have, a few people on my team that are nice tenure. And then I don't think I have anybody less than a couple of years. So we're getting to a point where people know who we are. If they need somebody, great. If they don't, no harm, no foul. We're not, we don't hard sell. We're not rude or say, I can't believe that. I mean, stuff happens all the time. Sometimes the perfect person does walk in. Well, okay. Thank you for the down payment next. And then if they go, well, I really didn't feel like I got my value. Then I push it to another search. I mean, you got to be flexible in this business. I always say, what would you want to happen if you were the client? And that's what makes it work. So if a client's not happy, you got to figure out how to make them happy or you don't have a long-term client. So that's just how it goes. I love it. And you talked about counter offers. I'm going to go back to that a second. What are the most important factors in retained search for a candidate experience and offer acceptance rates? Uh, find people who aren't married. I'm just kidding. <laughs> but not <really. laughs> Okay, fair. Because spouses kill more deals than anything. And everybody who's listening to this just laugh because I guarantee you they know. Again, I think we hit it all the time, all the time, all the time. But when talent is so tight and it is someone who is highly effective, they're going to counter offer them. And sometimes we just aren't going to win. We will do everything humanly possible to not have that happen. But like I tell everybody, we're not perfect. No firm is perfect. So we are going to lose sometimes and we will do everything we can to replace them with somebody who's even better but we will lose sometimes. We have that conversation with the candidates all the time. You can say no at any point in this process, but once you say yes, my intent is that you're all in and you are liking this and you're committed to this process and you are feeling like this is a good fit. They go on an interview. At any time, you can say no. How are you doing? Right? We do all of that. But the reality is our product thinks, breathes, and changes its mind all the time, and that's humans. So good luck. Yeah. I mean, we just do the best we can as recruiters. Do you think their experience is different throughout the process than a regular contingent search firm? I think they like the fact that they know that we've been retained. So they know that the firm is serious about hiring. Because I think there's a lot of tire kickers out there that throw out fake positions 
to get their resume and then mass market them. I mean, there's good recruiters and then there's really crappy recruiters. And the crappy recruiters do that, right? They get the resume and then they just start throwing their resume to everybody. Those people hurt our industry. So when we tell them we've been retained, they are looking for us to bring them the best of the best. So we will go to a short list of five. So you'll be one of five candidates that we deem super qualified for the job. Then it really comes down, as you know, to personality and culture. So, you know, here's what we know. We do a lot of marketing pieces on our clients. So they get a lot of information as well. And then, you know, we just pick the best, the best of the best. I'm going to ask a question kind of off script. A big conversation that I'm hearing across the conferences and in going in, obviously, is talent shortage. Yeah. Um, there's a conversation around upskilling and reskilling candidates. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, do you have any investment towards that? Or how are you addressing that within your firm and organization to the candidates that you currently serve? Do you have something that you kind of invest in? Nothing that we specifically invest in, but when you are in the retained world, a lot of the searches are confidential. So they are replacing someone that is in the active role and they pay for a retained search because of that, because they need someone who is committed to that confidentiality piece. So I would tell you, we get a lot of those every year for simply that fact is by being retained, they feel, okay, I got one partner, they're committed. They know that this can't get out who it is because obviously then it would be exposed that we're looking to let this person go. We can't afford to have them not be there. That's a big piece of why people like will do retainers even to begin with is because of that confidentiality piece. But, you know, I think we're all looking for the best of the best. Who doesn't want the best of the best in their employees? So we try to do that every time we do a search. Now, do we miss? Sure, we miss just like everybody else misses. But if we miss, we fix it. And we keep going until we find somebody they really like. The nature of the business. Yeah, it is. So you look at your firm and you look at other retained firms. What separates an average retained search firm from an excellent one today? Well, there's all these personal biases. So I guess I would tell everybody who's listening to this, take it for what it's worth because it's my personal bias. Yeah. I can't stand when a firm puts and pulls within the same company. I just hate that. And I know a lot of retained firms that they'll pull from the Atlanta division and put in another firm in California and then they'll be placing for that firm in California. I just, again, it's my own personal bias. It's how I was raised in the industry and it's an ethical thing in my opinion. So that's one thing that I think we guarantee that we won't do that. I said, you can't take my people. I won't take your people. That's the agreement we're going to have. That doesn't mean I'm not going to take your people in Atlanta, but I'm going to take your people in California. And I get it when people get really big Sometimes it's almost impossible to do that, right? And that's probably why I'll never be a $100 million search firm because as long as I lead, I don't want to be that. Now, after I have people to take over my firm, if they want to do that, so be it. I'm done, right? I'm going to be off doing something completely different. I have no idea what that is, but I'll figure it out. But that is not something. So I think the whole care and concern for the client, the integrity of how you do a search the communication, transparent communication on, we're struggling. We are struggling with this right now. We're going to get it done. We will absolutely get it done. But you got to know we need a few more weeks because we are struggling with what it is we know you need. We found candidates, but we know what you need. We haven't quite gotten there yet. So I just think that's what, in my opinion, makes a great retained search firm. I mean, every client is different and every client would tell you a different answer. I'm sure of that. I love it. Have you seen offices that do contingent and retained oh, yeah. still 
successful yeah. model? I mean, I know you're specifically retained. Yep. There's a lot of firms that have practices within their firm. So they have a healthcare practice and a construction practice, and each of them run as independent businesses almost. It's like a law office, right? You have your law practice and you run it how you want. So there's a lot of firms that run that way. And I'm not even opposed to that. You know, as I hire practice leaders, if they would prefer to be contingent, so be it. I'm just never going to work contingent. I'm too damn old. <laughs> I love it. Okay, we're set in our ways. and I just feel like there's got to be value for our 28 years of experience. There's got to be value for the time and the fact that I'm going to be intimately involved in this search. I still run a desk. I mean, I run a desk because I went off a desk once for six months. I almost went insane. I said, I can't do it. I can't do it. I can't just be the president of the company because I can't drive cash flow. I can't intimately know what's going on. If the recruiters are giving me a line of line here, if it's really actually happening out in the market, I can't help to guide and counsel because I'm not in the throes all the time saying they're really not answering their phone and we got to figure out why and we got to figure out how to do that. Yeah. So I just said, and I really do love the business. I love the thrill of the hunt. I love all that. So until I'm done, I'm just going to stay doing it. It's worked out thus far. So I love yeah, it. Yeah, so far it's been okay. I, okay. Yeah. The okay is the word. What are the most important metrics you track when it comes to retained search practice? KPIs are obviously the, the yeah. conversation that everyone wants to know. What are you measuring? How are you measuring? So what are you tracking for your metrics in retained search? So depending on who you would ask inside my organization, they would give you a different answer because we track everything, right? Again, this is where my old school comes out. I track one metric and that's send out. And it's the only metric I track. That's it. If people aren't getting interviewed, they're not going to get a job. End of story, right? So for me, the metric I look for, so we run one for five because we go to shortlist. One person gets a job for every five candidates we get interviewing. So my job, depending on how many placements I want that month, this is how many people have to interview. Pretty easy. And I don't have to bog myself down with phone time and number of resumes in and, you know, number of Smiths and no, no, no. I do one. So I know. But that's me. Our organization tracks everything. And I have a data analytics guide that I would put up against anybody. I mean, he's amazing. But I track one for me personally. And that is when I look at where our hot sheet is, when I look at where the business is for that month, I can pretty much predict within $10,000. And it's off of one metric. And that's send outs. You are the second president or CEO that has said that in the last four interviews of mine. And I don't disagree. So we tend to want to make this business so difficult. And I'm like, it really is. It's a hard job. It's a hard job. It's hard to cold call when you're new. It's hard to find the right person. All that's hard. But the job itself, how you measure, super easy. Super easy. Yeah. We just complicate it. Shocker, humans. I mean, once they get involved. Mm -hmm. Okay, so let's say someone wants to improve their retained search fill rate. Yeah. Without any other advice, what advice would you give them? Go see your client. Yeah. And even if it's Zoom, but you have to really know what is it that's the win. And I think we take information down, but do we really understand what the first year looks like? What does a win look like? Like if you and I are sitting, I always say it this way. If we're sitting here a year from now and you say, damn girl, that was like the best hire ever. 
What did that person do? And nine times out of 10, they can't answer it. So my job is to help them to get to the answer by asking other questions. But I got to tell you, I got to know what the win is. Because if I don't know, I can't interview a person and know unequivocally they're going to be effective if I don't know what effective is. And it's easier to do that face-to-face because there is that emotional connection that happens when you are sitting with a person side by side. And the trust level grows quicker because you're right beside them and they know that you are in it with them. You don't get that over Zoom, which does create a little more, it's a little more difficult to build that emotional connection as quickly. But for me, that's it. It's really understanding what the win is and building that emotional connection and trust quickly so that they know you're going to go out and find the person that can do that for them. And honestly, AI coming into the mix is only making that human element a little bit further away because people, I mean, how many people even at MRI over the years, like, did you see, oh, well, I can do this business via just email. I can do it via email. No one wants to pick up the phone. Well, and I love AI perspective of, you know, it helps with writing or it helps with some of that stuff. But again, I will retire when it comes to the point where AI will do all of it until we get to a place where we're submitting people. I mean, even just to know people's stories and to know what is your life's vocation? Like if you could paint me a picture of, I mean, and you get the smart ass answers of, I want to be a pro ball player. Well, good for you. On something that's realistic, what is it that you really want your life to be? What is it that you want your career to look like? And I can't tell you how many people I placed that, I heard that story. And then years later, I call them and say, I got it. They go, you got what? I go, I have your, your job. And they're like, no, you don't. And I go, yeah, I do. And I placed them. I mean, it could be 10 years later. So, I mean, I just had a guy, I've had a lot of the people that I placed are retiring from the same company, which is good, but they're retiring, which makes me feel really old. But I had a guy that I placed years ago, 21 years ago, and I placed him as a, like kind of a baby estimator. And he just became president of the company. And I called him, I go, I feel like your mom. Oh, I'm so proud. You know, I was, it was just so funny. I had that conversation because I said, I'm just like, so proud of you. That's amazing. And that's why this business to begin with. That's what this business is all about. That's it's transforming lives. It's just, it's the coolest thing. Very much so. And that's why a lot of us don't leave. Yeah, right. That's why those of us that are crazy to stay in it, stay in it. All right. I only have one more question for you. Someone coming into this space and you can do it twofold. Actually, I'm going to put it this way. What was the one to two things that have had the biggest impact on your success? Well, so one is an individual and that was Todd Dawson. A lot of people know Todd Dawson. He owns uh, World Bridge in Omaha. He was my CSAM mentor as a brand new rookie. And he's, he was a beast, just a beast. And I told him this, he was a beast to me. But he said to me, I send out every day and you don't leave until you get it. And I literally would be there until 10 o'clock at night, some nights till I got my send out. I mean, it was ridiculous. But I built 509 in six months. Nobody had ever done that. And I did that on a brand new desk. The only thing that was in my database was a misspelled construction company, no people when I started, zero. And I built 509 and I did it because I relentlessly lived by that one metric. So he trans—he definitely was one. And then I would say probably the other thing was having sort of the courage, because I'm a big courage person, having the courage to know that there had to be a better way to do this business when nobody else was doing it that way. And to just say, you know what, this is a people business. It's not a phone business. Because I heard that every day. It's a phone business here. And I'm like, No, it's not a phone business. It's a people business. The phone is the vehicle for how I get a hold of them, but so is it my car. 
you know, so it doesn't have to be that way. The day I knew I was going to start my own, I had asked Russ, one of my clients was giving me crap because he said, like, I've literally sent you half a million dollars this year. You could at least come buy me breakfast. I'm like, yeah, I guess I can. And I said, I'm going to go buy Dan breakfast. And he goes, no, you're not. It's a phone business. And I said, that's where you're wrong. And that was the day when I went, I'm going to start figuring this out. And I, I ended up, I bought my desk and started a DRG because I just knew that there was more to this business than that. That's amazing. I love that and love Todd. Any other words of advice for anybody looking to test the retain world, uh, maybe on a small scale or jump feet first? I know you gave a lot of pieces of advice here. Any other last words of advice for anybody looking to start in this world? Well, you know, there's no magic wand, but I will tell you my life's motto. How's that? Because this is what retain search is from contingent. And that is be the buffalo. So the buffalo is the only mammal that runs toward a storm as opposed to away from a storm so it can get through the storm faster. So, I mean, it, my desk is covered in, oh, this way, buffalo stuff. The whole thing, like everything is buffalo. And the reason I have all these things, a lot of people gift me things. I've got a big buffalo that my friend Dave Dark gave me. The reason why I love that is because you are never going to win if you're not willing to just say, you know what, screw it. I'm going forward and I, it doesn't matter. It's not going to be fun and it's not going to be pretty. And I'm just going to, I'm going to try it. And people are going to hang up on me and they're going to hate me and I don't care. I'm going to get good at it and I'm going to win. And that's what Be the Buffalo means to me. So if you want to be a retained search firm or you want to have a retained desk, you just need to be the Buffalo because that's the only way to do it. That's such good words of advice. I've never heard you say that in all of my years. So I've never heard you say that. I love that. I haven't looked into anything recently because I say it all the time. (laughs) Well, I love it. Be the Buffalo. Great words of advice. Sharon, thank you so much for coming on with us. It was a great insights for people that are looking to scale or even really just hone into their retained business. I know yeah, our well, listeners. And anybody who wants to have a conversation, I'm easy to find and certainly can reach out. We'll put your LinkedIn profile in our okay. show notes. Perfect. And even put the ERG website as well. So any of our listeners listening, feel free. You can kind of connect with Sharon from that point. So thank you very much for joining us. I know our listeners got a tremendous amount of value from your experience, your strategy, your perspective. They really got to take a page out of the playbook from one of the best in our industry. So to all of our listeners, thank you so much for listening. Hope you found this episode specifically insightful for Retain Search. Please check out any previous episodes as well as other content for growth and leadership innovation across all people, process, and technology. Stay tuned for more interviews for the Full Desk Experience Industry Spotlight. Thanks for listening. I'm Courtney Harmon with Crelate. Thanks for joining us for this episode of Industry Spotlight, a new series from the Full Desk Experience. New episodes will be dropping monthly. Be sure you're subscribed to our podcast so you can catch the next Industry Spotlight episode and all episodes of the Full Desk Experience here or wherever you listen.